This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. Can you dig it? Can you dig it? Can you dig it? dramatic or like sort of understated or what this is a land that prays for a hero the humor of the entire situation suddenly gave way to a run for survival you are listening to greening the apocalypse on triple r102.7 fm Welcome, 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 one and all, to this week's edition of Greening the Apocalypse, Triple R's weekly foray into new ideas and genuine change. Uh, Bush is my name. Regular co-conspirator in the room is Adam Grubb. Greetings. How are thou? Thou art good. Uh, joining us on rotation is the ever-lovely Belle of Glasgow, Kate Dundas. How art thou? I'm very well. Indeed. I'm very excited to have... Annie Razor Roland with Adam Grubb's new book in my hands. Ah, yes. It looks good, doesn't it? The Art of Frugal Hedonism. I can't wait to read it. There's recipes. Mm. You know, the weird thing is I don't actually know the best way of saying hedonism or hedonism. Definitely hedonism. Hedonism sounds weird. Yeah. It's a bit of a mouthful, though. I was a bit worried it wasn't going to sell, but we just I started spamming it out today and... No, I can't just, I keep, I haven't been preparing for the show, I've just been checking my email because there's just, all these orders are rolling and it's very Soon. exciting. Everyone should order it because it's really good. How yeah. do we get one? Oh, yeah, how do we get one of your books? Uh, well, you can go to frugalhedonism.com. That's our, Annie and my little website where we're plugging them. They'll be yeah. in the shops in a little while, but uh, we've That's got, we've got them first. I sell one on a Walmart website. Are you serious? I'm actually serious. Oh, in right. America. Yeah, yeah. It's getting, it's getting an American distribution. Yeah. It won't be there for Everyone a few, read it. couple of weeks because it's on a boat. It's so good. Very oh, good. thank you, Kate. Save on the children. <laughs> You're reading out the... You want to read out the chapter <laughs> titles <laughs> as we go? We've got an hour. Why don't we just read a book on there? <laughs> hey, should, should I tell people what it's about just in a nutshell? Yeah, give it a nutshell. Well, so, so the subtitle is A Guide to Spending Less while enjoying everything more. And both Annie and myself, we're natural cheapskates. Um, It's funny, when I educate people about things, a lot of the time they're things that I have had to learn in the not-too-distant past. Mm. And so it's like, oh, it's really easy to explain how to grow food to people because I didn't know how to do it 10 years ago. Mm. It's really fresh in my mind. In this case, we sort of reverse-engineered our lives, all the things that have become second nature to us. And going like, well, a lot of people we know seem to be struggling with stress and bills and and expanding waistlines and all the rest. And it's like, well, we seem to be doing pretty good. We like life. We're, Annie is particularly good at just like chilling and just blissing out from the sun on the back of her neck or whatever. You yeah. Know? And, and uh, at the same time lives on a pittance. And, but we, we, have, we don't think about money much because we, ne- we never spend that much. So it's just always there in excess, even though we earn Mm. A lot less than the average Australian. Nice. And uh, so we thought, well, let's put some tips in a book. I can't wait to see what it this, says about rent. The art of mm. frugal hedonism. Well, we kept budgets for a year, and that was more than half of mine yeah, was right. paying for housing. Um, but other than that, we figured out we spend about a quarter of the average Australian. 
Wow. Yeah, that's good. I read an article today where it was a really nice article that talked about whenever you wanted to buy a piece of clothing, you should just draw it or paint the, pi- the picture of the yeah. clothing instead and just think about it and then don't buy it. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I'm going to use that. <laughs> I might start doing that. Don't, don't I really want that in, top. I'm don't just wear it in public, it. though. <laughs> don't stick it. it to yourself with sticky tape. Like, it's not going to fall anywhere. It's not the terrifying. same. My expanding waistline would not be appreciated in a stick-on <laughs> bit of clothing. <laughs> <laughs> I, did a, I did the big wardrobe cull on the weekend because there was just things in there that I haven't worn, but some of some really funky retro jackets and stuff. And I thought, well, they're too good to just give away. They're actually – so I put them on a buy swap somewhere so they all got snapped up straight away. And then I was able to plunge that money directly back into the local economy at a bar. Did you keep your dreadlocks? I've still got them in the shed. Are you going to sell them one day? No, I've actually got a pig skull that I'm going to mount on the front of the shed and I'm going to drill the dreadlocks into it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Just to scare off the neighbourhood children. <laughs> you are listening to a podcast from Community Radio 3 FM in Melbourne, Australia. You're on Green in the Apocalypse on 3 R. Now, we're going to talk tonight about a thing called the Growing Abundance Project, which is a really active community group based in Castlemaine. Uh, they're all about local food. Uh, they grow it. They're into eating it. And they do projects like harvesting from backyard trees. They prepare local feasts with local food. They share produce between volunteers and the community. And later in the show, we're going to talk about this one, which is pretty interesting. They feed kids what could be loosely termed happy food. Sorry, Nikki, in advance. Um, In school canteens. Well, Nikki Valentini is the coordinator of the Growing Abundance Project, and and she's uh, joining us for the first half of the show tonight. So welcome to Green the Apocalypse, Nikki Valentini. Thank you. Some of the things that Growing Abundance get involved in, uh, just to run a few off, you've got a community garden situation, uh, fruit tree harvesting for various property owners as an mm-hmm. exchange program. Uh, after a little bit later in the show, we'll talk about the catering business. But, how, you know, give us a little bit of a breakdown on the uh, rundown on the community garden and maybe how you started to approach private uh, landowners with the fruit tree uh, harvest stuff. So with the with the hub plot, which is our sort of our demonstration garden in the centre of Castlemaine, we um, a, a, a couple of activists in this town who do some amazing work uh, bought a property in the centre of town and, and wanted to give that as a as sort of a way to inspire and show people what you can do, what's growing now, and just to bring that conversation in. And the hub plot garden is so awesome. It's like the garden that everybody would want because there's all these people that come there for one morning a week and it's always... Every, there's things growing, there's no weeds, it just looks completely perfect and they experiment with all these great things and they, you know, they build wicking beds and they sort of bury terracotta pots into the ground and have perfectly pruned fruit trees all the time and it's just... Bury terracotta pots? They, they want to save something for um, future generations to discover? Well, they are just for water. Okay. Yeah. It's a watering yeah. system. Okay. Oye, oye, oye or something. It's a traditional kind of pot. They got a local potter to make these traditional pots that they've then buried into the ground and they fill them with water during the, the hotter months. Um, they're pretty cool. They look pretty gorgeous too, sunk into the ground everywhere. Um, yeah, so that's kind of a bit of a, an intensive gardening. There's a restaurant that's attached to the hub plot as well that all their scraps go into their big composting systems there. There's a beehive there. 
and they, you know, they produced a what to grow when in Castle Maine calendar for people to, as a guide. So there's a number of things that they do there that just sort of brings a whole lot of people into the conversation around what what to grow when and what can you do and all the different little methods and and ways to grow food, you know, including we've got nine big wicking beds on the street for people to be able to graze from. I'm not sure if everybody would know what they are, but um, it's a type of uh, gardening method which waters from the bottom up. And I'm just thinking that, like, you know, you guys there in Castlemaine, you are... You know, a kind of step or two down the road of climate change than we are in the city. Because although mm-hmm. probably the average rainfall is historically not that different, it's always been less in summer. And mm-hmm. so you've got the more extreme Mediterranean climates and uh, that's been, you know, dropping off in rainfall faster than it has in the city even. And uh, probably all these things that you're talking about, uh, you're, you're, you're testing them right now for our future. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we do often sort of talk about how we're, we're, we feel a little bit at this, at the, the, the edge. You know, we're, we're sort of, sort of green, but sort of not. We do really face dry summers and hot, and we don't have a lot of topsoil here. And, you know, so it is, we are kind of at the edge of something. It's a little bit tense sometimes. <laughs> well, that, that actually brings me to, I'm pretty familiar with Castlemaine, having spent a bit of time there and having friends up there. And to not put too fine a point on it, the soils there are shit. And, and then they've also got the history of the gold rush there and, and all sorts of things that have created some pretty rough soils. Yeah. Um, and as Adam said, there's very dry summers. So if you're talking about sort of a program to re-localise food in those sorts of conditions, um, how flexible... Do you have to be with, you know, your boundaries on your borders of what you would call relocalizing food? I mean, is there things that you accept that just have to come in from further away? Maybe if you could give us a little rundown before our first break about your how uh, the Growing Abundance crew define relocalizing their food. Um, so we talk largely about within the Shire. Um, you know, we do talk about the 100-mile the 100-mile thing, but as far as our harvest project goes, um, it, it's we specifically talk about within our shire and, as, and with our catering business, it's about what can we identify and access in this shire. So um, we, do, we, we do have to pull things in from the 100-mile 100, 100 radius of where we are, but that's our second preference and we're very we, we talk about that stuff a lot we, we separate those things out but you know I mean Victoria compared to if you look at other regions of Australia we are a, a food bowl in itself the whole place we've got a lot of things on offer so the hundred miles offers us a lot of food you are listening to a triple R podcast podcast etc <laughs> you are on Green in the Apocalypse on 3 Triple R, and we are continuing our conversation with Nikki Valentini, who is the coordinator of the Growing Abundance Project, which is a local food enterprise in Castlemaine. Now, Nikki, so far, you know, the story's gone a little bit like, hey, you met some like-minded people, you did some like-minded things, um, you know... Uh, sharing fruit trees, it all sounds lovely and utopian uh, almost. Utopian almost. <laughs> but you've also entered into um, the complex world, the complex politics of the school tuck shop. And one of the projects that you've taken on is yeah, catering with local food using all your ethics in the school canteen. 
Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about the kind of stuff that was being served before you guys got the contract? Uh, so before we came to the Castlemaine, so currently I'll just give the backstory. About four years ago, the, the Castlemaine Secondary College went, put their canteen out to tender, and we applied for it, and we got it. Um, and before, before, and since then we've sort of expanded to do a lunch service, um, a drop-off online ordered lunch service to some primary schools in our area, which is currently growing. But back then what was being offered in the canteens and actually only four years ago the local food conversation is quite a common conversation now particularly with cafes a lot of cafes want to serve something local on their menu and that kind of thing but even four years ago it wasn't such a conversation and uh, so we won the tender to take over and what we were replacing was Pepsi um, dim sims frozen dim sims from I don't know where and uh, um, the two minute noodles uh, amongst some other bits and pieces of, of things. So, hang on, they would actually, they would cook the two-minute noodles in the canteen? Well, they they were, they came in like cups and then you just add hot okay. water. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> so all of it, this yeah. sounds like stoner food. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, who am I to say? Yes, we did. It was quite funny. We did have a few students that sort of came up on the first, you know, during the first week and, and sort of looked around and said, have you got Dim Sims? And we'd say, oh, no, but we've got this great, you know, homemade pie or that, whatever. And they'd go, just to let you know, I won't be coming back here. <laughs> no, gutsy. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, we did, it was... Um, it was kind of it, the kids were dubious about what what we were doing and who the hell were we and what happened to the other canteen ladies, which was unfortunate. We, though we tried to employ them, but it didn't work. And so it yeah, there was a big kind of cultural shift to happen. And we started with talking about it a lot. In we'd go to teachers' meetings, we'd go get into classrooms, we'd talk about what we we're trying to do, and it was just met with disgust. <laughs> The school was great. They were really supportive, obviously, of it happening, but the students were all a little bit, who do you think you are, which is a great, great learning curve, really, for us to say, hey, maybe people don't want to choose this, actually. They'd, maybe they don't want to be told what to eat. They definitely don't want to be told what to eat. Uh-huh. So let's not even talk about it anymore. Let's just do really yummy food, and that we'll go from there. So I, six months in, I think we couldn't get any eggs or something, and we had an uprising about not being able to have any egg sandwiches. And, um, you know, but now, four years later, nobody says anything they they say oh is that in season and the kids will come up and ask is there such and such in season can we have that now or you know the it's sort of their attitude towards it has changed immensely um so that's that's been really great now they kind of take it for granted or they'll just ask for what they need or or want and and accept when they can't have it so um yeah it's quite it's quite it's changed quite a lot in that time but um you know there's there's it's been a long and slow road and, and really a road of saying, well, you know, let's not let's not talk about it. Let's just do it and make it kind of normal. So, you know, we serve, uh, we serve lots of different things. We make curries and we serve hamburgers, organic hamburgers on organic sourdough bread. And um, what else do we make? That's, we make soups in winter. We make um, lots of different salads in summer. Um, 
yeah, lots of roasted vegetable things and and pastas and that kind of stuff. So kids um, have a big a big choice in what they get. Mm. Mm. Uh, I just wanted to paint a quick picture there. Um, Jamie Oliver, uh, there was a telly show a few years ago. Jamie Oliver did a similar thing. He was attempting to overhaul school dinners in the USA and, and also in the UK. Yeah. Uh, in the USA, he was faced with a situation where the mashed potato on the menu came in as a powder or a, mm-hmm. a thing and, and all the milks were flavoured and the chicken nuggets were um, chicken nuggets, which is pretty, <laughs> pretty rough. Um, yeah. um, similarly, in the UK, uh, the parents got really shitty that they hadn't been asked or consulted yet and that suddenly this thing was happening and they were apparently sneaking donuts through the fence uh, <laughs> to their kids. Now, I've got a little bit of a thought. I mean, if we talk about a bit of a culture clash... Uh, and a socio-economic and demographic clash. Perhaps mm-hmm. one thing that could be suggested uh, that in the modern world, the affordable food is not always the best food. And so, if you have a situation where you have maybe the old timers in Castlemaine who would refer to you guys and anyone in the last you know thirty years as a blow-in townie, um, perhaps they've become very accustomed to a diet of Pepsi, Dim Sims, pies, etc. And mm-hmm. perhaps. This is just a theory I'm going with. Um, I think sometimes if you point out to people that something they're doing isn't necessarily healthy or ideal for them, it can actually end up making them feel pretty shit about themselves when they might already feel a bit shit. I I only sort of make that story there to say, if you could go back and change the way you guys um, took on the job, would you have um, eased into it a bit more slowly than you did? Or do you have... Or is there sort of no regrets for the way it's happened? Um... We we always said we were easing in slowly. So we, you know, we do things. So we we have um, we just replaced, you know, sort of uh, packaged white supermarket bread with local organic sourdough bread, and we so we did things quite slowly. But I would say potentially we shouldn't have talked about it. You know, yeah. it's the kids. It's all kid food. It's all things that kids would love to eat, and um, you know. But there's. We also got a local a local Chinese restaurant to make us dim sum. They, so we had, and they were using local organic pork in these little um, steamed buns and all this kind of stuff. So we also were doing all this sort of stuff to try and make it the same but different. Um, but I would say the biggest change I would make is not to talk about it that much, actually, and mm. just do it, and then, and then, and just make it good. Uh, particularly in that context, it's 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 within kids' stomachs. It just needs to be good. Um, I mean, there's a big learning curve in. We we took a number of massive leaps to as a social enterprise because local, as you were saying before, it's not necessarily as affordable. Um, which it, you know, I had a student say to me recently, "Can you put the biscuits down ten cents because you get food from local farms? It's cheaper than food from USA or anywhere." And I said, "Well, isn't that funny? That's a really funny thing because actually, it's not quite like that. It's mm. kind of the opposite. The guy's food down the road is going to cost us more money, funnily enough. So there's this, you know, we have these gentle conversations when they come up now, but we don't other times. But anyway, we took this huge leap in." going we can do this we can just make these guys really yummy food that is also local but 
you know, it's very tight. It's a very tight budget we have to run because there's not a lot of room in local food sold at our, our top dollar is $5.50 in there. So you can buy a beautiful organic local meat, organic hamburger on organic sourdough bread for $5.50. And so it's a total bargain. Wow, don't don't let that get out. I'm yeah. Can you, yeah. <laughs> is, it, is it open to the public? That's a uh, skill canteen. Can we all come? Yes, yeah. If you can start sending those down on the train, I'll collect them at Wood End. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah, uh, so, yeah, the kids, you know, the kids love them, you know. Usually we just have to have lots of pre-orders and are sold out and that kind of thing. But it did take them some time to actually want to taste it because we'd talked about it. Well, as, as well as probably being... I don't know. I'm I'm actually just stereotyping here, but like the Steiner Kindergarten capital of Victoria, mm-hmm. Castlemaine um, self promotes as the hot rod capital of Victoria, and so that the culture clashes. You know, it's running pretty deep here. Now mm-hmm. you're saying the kids are sort of, you know, coming around. How, how's it going with the parents? Um, oh, the parents have accepted it as well. Yeah, the parents have definitely accepted it as well. I mean, there was, you know, it sort of taps into the, the blow-in conversation that has happened in Castlemaine around all the new people moving in and um, and the changes in the town. And, you know, that comes up in lots of different ways throughout the town in lots of different areas. So... Um, these days it's you know it it sort of takes a while to prove yourself as you know as when you're newer or or that kind of thing so i mean i've been around for quite a while but still i'm new uh so it's it you know i i do very much reserve the 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 controversial conversations to you know i don't care who you are or how it goes we can just be friends and enjoy food together and that it's as simple as that Mm. and that has kind of uh that's kind of come that's what we've really taken with us along with us and these are the major lessons that we have learned because going into the canteens was reaching beyond our enthusiasts we started up we were operating for a couple of years on our enthusiasts on people that thought it was so great the whole concept and it was novel or or tree changes and we want to attach to this idea and and you know normalizing it has been the biggest and is in an ongoing way the biggest hurdle that we face so you know there's a lot of people um who now don't even think of it necessarily like you know we're trying to change everyone's you know home eating practices or or who they are or what they do or that we're judging any of those things we're just doing this thing and we're just trying to enjoy it actually so mm. awesome well all the very best to the endeavor and to the future of it um yeah a friend of mine from kyneton where there's a slightly similar story with the old old timers and the blow-ins mm. he once said um if you move to Cast- uh, no, if you move to Kyneton and you want to be a local you've got to live there 50 years or go to bed with your cousin um, so, sorry, just to bring the tone down a bit. Um, but great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Probably the same here. But, well, possibly. And look, I think there's a lot of regional towns uh, probably across Australia now that are suddenly seeing these wide-sweeping changes to the, their demographic. Yeah. And, it, and it's, it's a natural thing. It's just what mammals do is protect their turf. That's right. Indeed. That's right, yes. Thank you very much for your time this evening, Nikki. No worries. Thanks for having me. You are listening to Greening the Apocalypse on 3RRR.
Dandino. <laughs> You're still trying, Bushy. It's not going to stick. Katie. <laughs> <laughs> so, two weeks ago when I was on, I had a hypothesis that people who do these things live in Castlemaine or similar. What, what was the things? Like, just uh, uh, general, active in the community? General things of goodness, Good, you know. Uh, yeah. Like, living your life in a different type of a way. All the people we talked to on this, on this show. There has been a run of them lately. Local food stuff or, I don't know, you know, all the stuff we talk about. Mm-hmm. What, what else do we talk about? Solar, well, when we're not green things. The global everybody collapse <laughs> yeah. comes up from time to time and okay, catastrophic so climate change. <laughs> apart from the, the people who are actively doing things in the community oh, yeah, yeah. to change their lives and the lives of others. Mm. So, yes, well, number one. the ones one, that are celebrated and that are sort of good at social media and the ones that we often find the out The ones about. who we talk to. Yeah. Mm. Number one, live in Castlemaine or similar. Tick. Tick. No, well, well, there's lots of... We talk to lots of people in the city too, but when we, when we head out to tonight, the country... Tonight, tonight. But the, oh, okay. the Castlemaine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Nikki, Tick. well, yeah. I actually fulfilled the Number two, have a wide group of friends who are interested in the same things as you. Tick. Yeah. Tick. Number three... I've forgotten what number three was. Ah, don't work nine to five. Mm. Yes, yep. because you don't have time to do anything else. Or, or not every day. Uh, not every day. I feel like after reading The Art of Frugal Hedonism by Annie Razor Roland with Adam Grubb, <laughs> I'm going to learn how to change my life. Sorry, I couldn't hear Very quite. Right. What was that book called again, sir? <laughs> the Art of Frugal Hedonism by hey. Annie Razor Roland and Adam Grubb. You said it the other way, hedonism. Oh, I did that for you because oh, that's thanks. the way you say well, it. Although that's, swing the, that's way. the weird yeah. way to say it. But I wanted to not just ponder that but also think tonight about conflict mm-hmm. and about when our particular frame of reference and the stuff that we talk about about communities and doing things a certain way is good for some people but often has repercussions that aren't often good for everybody um the jamie oliver thing i remember that so clearly mm. in 2006 when the parents were going crazy because the school decided to change the diet of these kids from like turkey twizzlers and all these gross foods to healthy stuff but they didn't talk to the parents at all yeah and nothing and they had this show that was like look at all this crap they're feeding the children aren't the parents terrible and isn't jamie oliver wonderful and these parents were like hold on a minute you can't come into this school tell us what to do so their reaction to not being not having a say in what was going on and not being taken on the journey Mm. was to go and hand donuts through the school fence (laughs) and that actually happened and it was filmed and there was articles about it but it was because of the process yes there was no consultation with the parents. There was no discussion about what was happening. It was just seen as all these rich twats coming in and telling us what to do. Yeah, which I, it sort of was. Which it was, completely. Mm, yeah. And while, yeah, it's very... And on a greater scale when he did it, the same thing in the US. Yeah, it's exactly the same. He mm. got terrible repercussions. And what he's doing is fantastic. And but yet... At the same time, as a rich twat, he's got enough time on his hand <laughs> and he's educated and he actually probably has a better set of food nutritionally and kids are going to be healthier. Mm-hmm. Mm. So mm-hmm. he's got something of value there he's got so much of value i think he's brilliant yeah but it was just interesting to see what the repercussions were when the parents weren't in being involved and mm. it was interesting to hear nikki reflect upon what she would have done differently which was just not talk about it and mm. just change the diet and don't turn it into a thing don't like turn it a into a culture thing, thing. don't mm. turn it into a culture thing and don't turn it into a oh this isn't right this is right do this because this is good for you and you should eat local organic sourdough because so, so you're a you're a town planner, right? Yeah. So this has massive implications on the city, yeah. And the way that we 
design communities and the resultant series of millions of actions that happens when you come up with a plan for a community. Mm. So oh, it's, it can be anything. So say we're doing a structure plan or whatever for somewhere or redesigning a park. You'll try and take the community along on a journey with you. But it's these amazingly different, diverse opinions about what should happen in this space. Mm. And who's to say something's right and something's wrong? And it's up to us as town planners to have the bigger picture and say, climate change is happening, population change is happening. We actually need to do this. But also, you need to be involved in the journey and tell mm. us mm. how you want it to see. But if you want to have something there that's really, really bad for the planet and isn't going to work for housing, you know, 10 mega mansions rather than having 40 low-cost homes, for example, then it's up to us to step in and say, ah, sorry. Well, delicate <laughs> balance, delicate balance. Yeah, yeah. like setting those parameters is interesting. Yeah. And the issue of conflict in... Often on this show, I think we're, we're just self-affirming um, our, our beliefs of what's right and what should happen. Mm. And rather than dissecting the kind of repercussions of what might happen as a result of all of these potentially positive actions. Mm. <laughs> uh, like as in like unintended consequences. Unintended consequences, mm, yeah. exactly. Like well, y you've been to Dandenong where there's this like mini kind of fed square. Obviously a lot of urban... Um, redevelopment, revitalization money has gone into Dandenong, you know, classically lower socioeconomic. And you get off the train now and it's like there's a huge screen and when I and a, a paved area much like a mini fed square and they were playing TED Talks. Mm. And I was like, the, okay, this is probably putting down crime around the train station because it's just like off offensively like middle class yeah. twats just being beamed at you yeah. and and nobody can tolerate it but nobody was there yeah. yeah 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 see i mean that's that's a good example of this thing called placemaking that is very trendy just now and people are trying to activate uh in inverted commas activate all these spaces by doing a kind of rollout of not thinking about place properly. So mm. what's appropriate for Dandenong is probably quite different to what's appropriate for Brunswick or mm -hmm. Fitzroy or somewhere else. A few years ago, there was a big push to create this, uh, what they call, we're going to call the activity centre down at um, Camberwell. I remember Geoffrey Rush being on the ABC and he was saying that, he, that these people are trying to say that we're not active now. Mm. And his big point was that they were, and now I, I always forget her name, we had a guest on last year, Jess. Jess Christensen. Thanks. We need to get her Je back on. Yeah. Indeed. She talked about the difference between the bones of the area or the, and the skin or the hard and the soft. Mm -hmm. So that what you're talking about, Adam, they've gone and put all this um, mini fed square in Dandenong and there's TED Talks playing and there's no one showing up. <laughs> but the, the Jess, Jess gave the good example of Hanoi, which is sort of this grimy old, oh, what, French colonial city ultimately. Not a lot of development necessarily, but the, the actual soul of the place, I've not been there myself, but uh, people rave about Hanoi mm -hmm. as a city of activity and of thriving, uh, you know, people buzzing around everywhere. Is this, is this in line with what you're saying? Yeah, completely. So to... To understand what makes a place tick, you really have to understand the people and often the traders and the businesses and what's actually going on there mm. rather than just in implementing some kind of placemaking activity that might be crates and a bit of artificial turf and yeah. a screen showing TED Talks, which isn't going to appeal to lots and lots of different types of people. Except your TED Talk. That was quite good. <clears throat> <laughs> yeah, middle class twats. <laughs> no, no. Um, <laughs> 
Um, something else I've been thinking about recently is often activities driven by economic activity. And maybe it shouldn't be after I've re- read, the, read The Art of Frugal Hedonism, but um, it is. And do you know how difficult it is to start a business? Mm. It's so difficult. So to try, we're doing it right now mm. and it's taken months. We've been paying rent on a premise since February. So mm. you have to have a load of money to try and start a business that's going to mm. kickstart activity and action in an area. Yeah. And it's interesting to see what's going on in Preston Market at the moment and to try and think about the very sensitive nature of revitalising an incredible space like Preston Market. Mm. And it's the, pretty vital. It's vital. And the repercussions that... the negative repercussions that getting that wrong could have. What are they doing there? Um, they're, they've got a plan to build a big tower and to redevelop the market somehow. I'm not actually quite sure. But doing that wrong could rip the heart out of Preston Market mm. because what makes it so fantastic at the moment is the diversity of activity. I was... Um, I was earwigging on a couple of traders talking at Preston Market the other day and they were saying, it's not about you know, people coming here and hanging out. It's about people coming here and shopping. Yeah. And it's about making sure that economic activity is still happening. Yep. And that's what's really important to keep that market alive. Mm. It's all very well going and sitting around and watching stuff happening, but you need to be involved in the economic activity. Indeed. Um, so you put an article out for men, um, Adam, to have a bit of a look at why green cities need to become a deeply lived experience. Um, and it speaks to the idea that... Um, if you're not too careful, you over-gentrify an area, for example. Yeah. So there's a series in the conversation at the moment called Conflict in the City. And I thought, hmm, given tonight's topic and the conflict going on in the Castlemaine Canteen, I shall give that a read. Um, and it's, it's interesting. It's talking a little bit differently um, about what it means to have a green city. So... At the moment, we're trying really hard in the urban planning world to get more green in the city for all sorts of reasons, for uh, urban heat island effect and trying to encourage um, cooler streets through tree planting and uh, green roofs and stuff to insulate buildings and for all sorts, like for people to connect to nature in the city because there's so many people living in the city just now. Um, And this article is kind of talking about unpacking what that means and why is it useful? And having particular targets for tree canopy cover, is that enough? Mm. Or what should we be doing is trying to change our opinion about the city and our opinion about getting uh, greening and having a more experiential engagement with green in the city rather than it being a target-driven approach. Yeah. So how can we actually change our change the way that we think of ourselves as dwellers yep. in an urban environment at the moment, we see ourselves very much as part of the concrete city and not part of nature. But maybe we could design the city in a different way to make ourselves feel more empathy with nature. And maybe the, tr- the knock-on effect of that would be us making different decisions about what was a positive way to take the world forward. Mm. <laughs> Do you think that, uh, maybe if you talk about investment in infrastructure, for example, um, doing green walls and rooftop gardens and things like that, is that anywhere, will that ever be anywhere near as powerful to someone in the middle of the city as being able to just walk over and stand in the shade of a tree on a hot day? That's kind of the same thing. So A little, but a, a, tr- a tree... Look, there's nothing better than having open space on, at ground level mm. where you can 
get involved with nature, but you also need to have green infrastructure as well to cool the city. Yep. And we've actually got a really good show on next week with the architects mm-hmm. um, as guests and Rob Adams. I can't wait for that show. It's going to be brilliant and we'll talk about this a load more. Okay. How can we design the apocalypse? How can we design the city? This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.